to the book of Joshua. So we uh, we concluded our concluded our study through the book of Revelation. The plan is uh, starting in the new year. We're going to be going to um, some of the the smaller epistles. We'll be looking at First and Second Peter next. Um, but before we do that, you know, given that it's it's New Year's Eve, tomorrow starts a new year. Thought we'd do a New Year's kind of message. So a little more topical this morning. Uh, but we're going to be in, in the book of Joshua. We're going to be looking at, at chapter 24. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 15. Um, but probably spend the bulk of our time around chapter, uh, verses 14 and 15. Uh, so let's open in prayer and then we'll, we'll read. <clears throat> So, Lord, we, we thank you, we praise you for this morning, Lord, and, and again, we just want to invite you in this place, Lord. Lord, we just thank you that you're so faithful to meet us, Lord, as we come and as we worship, and, and now, Lord, as we, as we come to your word, would you speak to us and minister to us, Lord, may our hearts be open and, and, and ready to receive what you have, and that you would just go before us, Lord, during this time. Lord, would you honor the reading of your word? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Joshua chapter 24, verse 1 reads, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for the heads and their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said, to all the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, to Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, but to Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. And they fought with you, but I gave them into your hand, that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. 
Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them, and you eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods of your fathers, and sorry, put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord." And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, that which were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Man, I love that. Joshua calling the nation together, reminding them of how the Lord has, has gone before them. And he calls them and, and he kind of pushes them and says, make a decision. Choose for yourselves whom you will serve. And he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love that, right? It's like great bumper sticker material. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if many of us have that on a plaque hanging in our house somewhere. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, it's one of those, it's so easily quoted, right? It so easily comes to mind. You know, and there's so many of those, right? Like you look out, you know, some of the, the great men in, in history have, have had just some great quotes, you know? Charles, Charles Swindoll said that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. In the end, it's not the years in your life that count. It's the life in your years. Abraham Lincoln. How about this one? You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. Dr. Seuss. Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Thomas Edison. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. Winston Churchill. How about this one? We must remember that the shortest distance between our problems and their solutions is the distance between our knees and the floor. Charles Stanley. Or how about C.S. Lewis, right? And we could do a whole sermon just on C.S. Lewis quotes. But he says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Corey Tamboom said, 
Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strengths. Or how about the, the famous Jim Elliott quote, right? He, he, was, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Right? And we can go on and on about quotes that men, have, men and women have given over the years. But Joshua gives one here. And we all know it. And it's familiar to all of us, right? Choose today whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right? Josh, Joshua gives us one of these inspirational quotes. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you can serve. But there's a whole backdrop of how they've arrived at this point. Right? This wasn't some arbitrary thing where Joshua was like, hey, just, hey guys, just let's gather together, let's choose who we're going to serve. No, there's a whole backdrop of how they got here. Joshua was 110 years old. Right? In the previous chapter, in chapter 23, right, Joshua says, I'm going to go the way of my fathers. He's preparing to die. And before he goes... Before he leaves the nation that he's been leading, he charges them, make a decision, choose today. And so as he's gathering the nation together, as he's asking them to get together, I want, you, I want to hone in on a key phrase here. It says, then Joshua in verse one, gathered all the tribes of Israel, right? The whole nation is being gathered together to Shechem. And he calls for the elders of Israel. He calls for their heads, for their judges. He calls for their officers. And listen what it says there at the end of verse one. And they presented themselves before God. He gathers the nation. He gathers the leadership of the nation. And it says, they presented themselves before God. They presented themselves. Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? That you present your bodies. Paul says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And then he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, and I mentioned that earlier that as we're, you know, especially if, if you're coming to the men's group on Monday night, you're familiar with this. You've, you've been on this journey with us as, as Paul has given us some pretty healthy doctrine, just heavy, heavy doctrine for these first 11 chapters. But then as he comes into chapter 12, these first two verses, right? I beseech you. He's, Paul's like, I beg you. I'm begging you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. He says, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. It's the reasonable thing to do is to present ourselves to him. 
the nation of Israel has come and they're presenting themselves before God. As I mentioned, the, the first 11 chapters of, of Romans is, is pretty heavy in doctrine, but the, the last portion, 12 through 16, Paul transitions into that application part. What is the connection between doctrine and application? What is the connection between doctrine and application? It's the presentation. Presentation is what connects the two. It's how we present it. It's the presentation of yourself to God. It's moving beyond just the theological understanding of things. It's moving beyond just the religious activity of something. And it's moving into how we present ourselves to God. He says, I beseech you, I beg you, present yourself. You realize that that's what we're doing. When we come here on Sunday mornings and when we enter into a time of worship, that's what we're doing. We're presenting ourselves to him. Saying, Lord, this is the expression of my heart. This is how I feel towards you. I don't want to be hard or harsh here, but our time of, we're not just singing songs. We are worshiping our Lord and our Savior. We are proclaiming Him. Our time of worship, our, it's not just a transitionary time between when we walk through those doors and when we start the sermon. We are presenting ourselves before a living and a holy God. Right? It speaks to our hearts. At least I hope it does. The nation of Israel, they're presenting themselves. Unfortunately, there can often be a disconnect. And so often that disconnect is between our heads and our hearts. Right? They oftentimes they say the, the, the hardest 18 inches to travel is from your head to your heart. And we can understand things so often on an intellectual level, but it doesn't impact our hearts. It doesn't change us. Did you know that it's possible to read your Bible without actually meeting with the Lord? And I have to confess, I've been there. I've I've had those moments where I'm just reading and it's like, it feels laborsome. It's like, I'm just not getting anything. Lord, I want to hear from you. I want you to speak to me, but I'm not hearing anything. And it's because I haven't presented myself to him. I'm just reading. That it's possible to read your Bible and to not meet with the Lord. It's possible to be in prayer and not truly connect with him. You can be in the presence of a genuine move of God and miss it entirely. Just ask Judas. Three years, he walked with Jesus and he missed it entirely. You know, Paul wasn't the only one on that road to Damascus, but he was the one that got affected. Other people missed it. See, I think the problem is is that we have gotten pretty good and pretty comfortable at just displaying church. We play church. We show those around us what they want to see. We say the things that they want to they hear. 
We say the things and we do the things that they expect uh, to see from us. We have to present ourselves in a true and an authentic way. Not just display church because we're in church. Can I encourage you this morning? If you're broken this morning, it's okay to be broken. It's okay to show that so that we can come alongside you and put our arms around you and say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. How can I pray with you? How can I lift you up? How can I walk with you in this? That's what we're supposed to be as a church, as a fellowship, as a body of believers, to lift one another up, to be there for... We don't have to put on this cloak and hide from everything. Oh, I'm in church. I gotta say the right thing and do the right thing. Be who you are in Christ. Be who you are. And let us encourage you along the way. Have an authentic presentation before God. Because here's the thing. You, you can fool me. You can fool those around us. No one needs to know. But God knows. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. And quite frankly, he has probably put you there deliberately. Because there's something he wants you to learn or experience. There's, there's growth there. And you don't have to walk it alone. You don't have to do it by yourself. You're not an island somewhere. We're the body of Christ. And let's come together and work together. Let's present ourselves. The nation of Israel, in all that they have been through, they have, they're coming, as, as Joshua's coming to the end of his life, and he's pre- they're presenting themselves before a holy and a living God. It's a heart attitude. It's a heart attitude. How often, right, I mean, just speak for myself, right, I, I got up this morning, I took a shower, I shaved my head, I put on a nice pair of clothes, and I came to church so that I'd look presentable for you guys, right? It'd probably look pretty weird if I showed up, my beard all a mess and in my pajamas still. How often do we present our inner man when we come to church? How often do we prepare our hearts when we come to worship and when we come to the teaching of God's word? It's a heart attitude. You know, Psalm Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 42, 1 and 2. Is that true in your hearts this morning? Do you long for God the way a deer longs for the water? Right, tired and perched, needing refreshment, and it's found in the Lord. It's found in him. Israel has presented themselves before God, and he's going to speak to them. God himself is going to speak to them. Why? Because they've presented themselves Do you ever wonder why maybe your worship feels flat and dry? Your prayer life feels non-existent. When you come to God's word, you get nothing out of it. 
And might I suggest this morning, maybe it's because you haven't truly and authentically presented yourself before the Lord. Israel has presented themselves. And because they've presented, God speaks to them. Joshua is going to put on the office of prophet. 17 times in verses 2 through 13, 17 times he says, I did this, I did that. Right? Joshua says to, in verse 2, all the people of, thus says the Lord God. This is what God is saying. Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. And listen to verse 3. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river. Joshua didn't do that. Joshua wasn't alive yet. How can Joshua say, I, right? Because he's put on the office of prophet. God is speaking through Joshua directly to the nation that's presented themselves before God. And God is telling them, look how I have gone before you. Look how I have led you. I took your father, from the, your Abraham, from the other side of the river. I led him throughout all the land of Canaan. I multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And so they cried out to the Lord. Again, they're crying out to the Lord. And he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. Right? They dwelt in the wilderness a long time because they failed to walk by faith into the land that God had promised them. Forty years they dwelt there in the wilderness. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites. So now they've crossed over the Jordan. They've come into the land. And they fought with you, the Amorites, they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. And Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel. And I and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore he continued to bless you, so I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan, you came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. And not just Jericho, but the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. But I delivered all of them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, all to the two kings of the Amorites. But not with your sword or with your bow. Just a reminder, Israel. You are here because of what I did. Notice the 17 pronouns there. I, 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 I. I did this. I led you. I delivered them into your hand. 
He says there in verse 13, I have given you a land for which you did not labor. You are dwelling in a land that you haven't labored for. You've done nothing for it. You're living in cities that you didn't build. You're dwelling in them. You're eating of vineyards and olive groves which you never planted. This is what I've given you and I've given to you. I've put in your hands. The Lord has gone before the nation of Israel and has prepared them up until this point. You know, if we were to go all the way back to the beginning of the book of Joshua, I know we're just kind of jumping in and we're jumping in right at the end of the book, right? We're talking like, you know, Joshua's getting ready to die. He's kind of exhorting the nation before he passes on. You know, but if we go back to the beginning, right, right to chapter one, right, the nation of Israel has been wandering the wilderness for 40 years. They've been wandering in the desert. Why? Because they failed to take God at his word, right? Twelve men went to spy in Canaan, ten were bad and two were good, right? They saw grapes in clusters long. They went into the land to spy it out and they were like, yeah, the and it really is a land of milk and honey. I mean, the grapes are huge, but there's also huge people there. There's giants in the land. We're not going to go. Who were the two good ones? Joshua and Caleb, right? And they said no. Joshua and Caleb were like, we're, let's go. We, can take, we, we got God on our side. We can take the giants. But the nation failed to go in. And now Moses has died and Joshua is having to take and pick up the mantle of 400 years of prophecy, right? God's saying, I'm going to give you a land. And Joshua is now having to take these promises of God and lay them on his shoulders. He's the next leader as Moses is, is gone. You know, and I take a little bit of comfort and encouragement in knowing that it was a little overwhelming for him too. You know, sometimes God calls us into something and it's bigger than we are. You know, there's a song that I, that I love and the, the, the chorus goes, God, I want to do something so big that it's destined to fail without you. God has put them in an impossible situation and he says, I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me and Three times Joshua is told, listen Josh, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and very courageous. Don't you know that I have told you to be strong and courageous? He needed some encouragement and I'm encouraged by that because I need encouragement. So their disobedience, their lack of faith has left them wandering the wilderness for 40 years. Moses has died. Joshua's picked up the mantle. He's leading the nation. Right, leading them into 400 years of prophecy. For 40 years they've been hemmed in and they've been cut off from God's promises. And maybe that's how you feel this morning. Maybe this morning you feel like you've been hemmed in. You've been cut off from what God has promised you. 
And let me tell you, he wants to lead you in. But in chapter 2, what happens? Rahab happens, right? They go in and they meet this girl, this prostitute named Rahab. God is ready to take his nation and fulfill something that was promised 400 years ago. And what I love is God now stops an entire nation of 400 years of prophetic fervor for one girl. One girl. God says, we're gonna hold just a little bit longer because there's someone in that city that needs me. If that's not God leaving the 99 for the one, I don't know what is. Right? What, what does he say? It's just... Sorry. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountain to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that one sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. One girl in a city. And God says, we're going to stop and we're going to pause a minute for her. Maybe you're the one this morning. You realize that God is willing to stop everything, to come after you. To say, today, today is your day. And then in chapter 3, chapter 3, they cross the Jordan. The ark goes before them. In fact, if I remember correctly, the instructions were that the ark had to go a half a mile ahead of the nation. Why? Because the nation is some two and a half million strong. And God is saying, I need everyone to see the ark. Everyone needs to see me do this work. So let the ark go ahead. Let the ark go before you. The priests carrying the ark, and I love this, right? God instructs the priests to take the ark and to step into the Jordan. But this wasn't like a Red Sea thing where, where, where Moses slammed down his staff and the, the sea parted and they crossed on dry land. No, these priests waded into the water and waited for God to move. And we are not told, it doesn't tell us anywhere in chapter 3 how long God waited, but I feel like I know the Lord a little bit to know that he probably waited a minute to make sure they were actually executing faith. They probably stood there with their feet cold in the water for a minute going, God, are you going to do anything? How long do we keep wading into the water? See, God asks them to take a step of faith. So you got to get your feet wet. If you want to do something for the Lord, you got to get your feet wet. He's going to ask you to wade into the water a little bit before he lets those waters recede. 
But we know the story, right? That the waters did recede and they did cross over. You know, the end of ourselves means the beginning of God. Right? God will take us to the very end, to when we have nothing else. Right? I want to do something so big, God, that it's destined to fail without you. That if I can do it, then it was me that did it. Right? God did something. God led them over. And I love this, right? One, probably one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is chapter 4. I love chapter 4. Because God brought them across. He has led them into the land of promise. And what do they do? They went back to the river, they picked up stones, and they made a memorial. They made a memorial so that future generations could remember and know what God had done. What are your memorial stones in life? What are those moments that you can put the stone down and say, there, that is when God moved. This is when God showed up. This is how he met me when I waded into the water. And I love that they didn't just cross over and say, okay, we're here. They immediately went back and they took stones from the very river they just crossed and they set up a memorial to God. What is God bringing you through today? that might be a memorial for future generations. And then in chapter five, chapter five, God asks them to do an interesting thing. And I think even more interesting is that they obeyed. You see, while they wandered the wilderness, they neglected something, a command that was given to them way earlier circumcision so they have now crossed over the Jordan they are in the land of the Amorites right they are in the land of Canaan and they are coming into a land that God is going to ask them to subdue to take over to dwell in and to remove the current inhabitants and so their first step is to circumcise all the men? From a military standpoint, that doesn't make any sense. But what are they doing? They are recommitting themselves to the Lord. They are renewing that covenant that they have with him. And as they recommit themselves, you know, and I love, this is why I wanted to teach this this morning is as we consider this, we're coming into a new year, right? We make New Year's resolutions. We make promises to ourselves and what we're going to do this coming year. Recommit yourself. Recommit yourself to him. If, if you make any kind of promise, make it to the Lord and what you want to do for him this year, how you want to be obedient to him. God has done something amazing in their lives and they recommit themselves. And they renew that covenant with him. And then, and then Joshua takes a little stroll. And as he's strolling there at the end of chapter 5, he en encounters someone. Right? He encounters the commander of the army of the Lord. 
he comes face to face with God himself. And, he, and this was an impressive moment, right? And Joshua's like, whoa, hey, uh, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And he says, no. It's like Joshua's like, well, yeah, but that was an either or question. Are you for us or for the enemies? And he says, no. Josh, you're asking the wrong question. The question is, are you for me? I'm the commander of the army. Are you for me? And that's the question I think we have to ask ourselves this morning. Are we for the Lord and for what he wants to do and the work that he has for us? Well, they've recommitted themselves. They're in the land. It's time to get to work. And in chapter 6, right, the, the famous battle of Jericho, right, the ark goes before them, and the instructions were to circle the city once a day until the sixth day, and on the sixth day, they were to circle the city seven times, right, and to shout and to blow the shofar, and the walls came down. No swing of the sword, no fire of the arrow, simple obedience. Again, militarily, it doesn't make any sense. We're just going to walk around the city? We're just, okay. We're just going to yell? Blow our horns? But the walls came tumbling down except for one portion on the north side of the city. Remember the one? That one girl. And as the walls are tumbling down, she is reminded of a promise that God gave her and her portion of the wall. And, and archaeology proves this, that that wall is still standing. Man, the promises of God. Maybe this morning it feels like your walls are tumbling down. Everything's crumbling around you. Just know that you serve a faithful God who answers prayer and fulfills promises. Well, we gotta hurry if we're gonna get through the whole book. Chapter seven. <laughs> You see, when they overtook Jericho, they were given a strict instruction to not take anything. See, when you, when you go to battle and when you take a city, you plunder the city, right? Those are the spoils of war. You get to plunder the city. Only this wasn't their victory. This was God's victory. They didn't do anything. The walls came down because God did something. And so God says, that's my plunder. You leave it alone. Don't touch it. And what happens? Achan takes and he buries it in the earth under his tent. It's a beautiful Old Testament picture. This, our bodies, is a tent. The earth speaks of our heart. Achan took something that wasn't his 
and he buried it under his tent in the earth. And what happened? What happened is the nation went, went the next city, right? Okay, Jericho's done. Let's go to Ai. This little tiny minuscule city that shouldn't have been a problem became a big problem for them. And they couldn't take the city of Ai. Here's the thing. If you want to step out in faith, if you want to do something for God, it's going to be awful hard to do that if there is sin harbored in your heart. If you have sin buried in your heart. The sin of Achan becomes a picture of us, of the sin in our own lives. He kept back something that belonged to the Lord. And his hidden sin, listen to this, his hidden sin was not hidden towards God. No one else in the nation knew. In fact, when they were all lined up, no one had a clue who had taken anything. But God knew. God was fully aware. And, and as we've mentioned earlier, whatever's going on, you can hide it if you want to, but God knows and God sees. And here's the thing. His hidden sin... It had effects. His hidden sin affected his family, himself, and the nation. How many people went to that battle of Ai and died because Achan had sin in his heart? And that his hidden sin affected not just him, but his entire family. And here's the truth of it. Your sin is not just your sin. Your sin affects me. My sin affects you. Why? Because we are the body of Christ. We are not islands. We are not alone. Achan's sin had an effect on the entire nation. But I love it too because when you come to chapter 8, what happens? Achan's sin is dealt with and they go back to Ai and they have victory. Here's the thing. If we come to God and if we deal with the sin that's in our lives, there can be victory. God can restore that which has been lost. I love that. He is our redeemer. He redeems things. Amen. Amen. He can bring victory and redeem what was previously defeated. And then something interesting happens in chapter 9. Chapter 9, the, the Gibeonites come to Joshua and they deceive Joshua. And they trick him into a covenant that Joshua should have never entered into. And through deception, this deception becomes a difficulty and complicated for Israel. And at the end of chapter 9, we are told the why is because they did not inquire of the Lord. These Gibeonites come and they, they trick Joshua into this, into this promise, into this covenant. And because Joshua didn't first inquire of the Lord, he's like, oh, sounds good to me. Let's go. And for the remainder of their time, they're in the land of Canaan. These Gibeonites become a problem, become an issue for the nation of Israel. When we seek to go forward and we don't inquire of the Lord, it can cause problems and complications. 
Well, in chapter 10, Joshua does something unthinkable, right? They're there, they're in battle, the day is going long, and, and typically when, when you go to war and you run out of daylight, you, you stop, and you wait till daylight, you wait, you wait till morning, and then you re-engage in the battle, and Joshua's like, no, we can win the day, God, we just need a little more time. God, will you show up? Right? And, and God extends the day. He lengthens the day. He lets the suns hang in the sky a little bit longer so that they could see victory. That God went before them and helps them fight their battles. And isn't that an encouragement for us? That God goes before us and he fights our battles. You know, I'm so, <laughs> I'm so encouraged by, by Pastor Dean and, and all that he does. For, for our church body here and, and I swear God has given him longer days than he's given me I swear all that, that he has going on and yet he remains faithful to what God has called him to do and, and I swear like he, his day is longer than mine the sun hangs longer in the sky for Pastor Dean <laughs> why? because he's faithful to what the Lord has called him to do and I'm not trying to puff him up and I'm not trying to steal his reward, just that I'm encouraged by him and by his faithfulness. And that Joshua here knew that the Lord would show up and do something. And because of that, in chapter 11, we are given something that's so cool, right? In chapter 11, it says that Joshua left nothing undone that God had commanded him to do. I love that. Joshua's meticulous obedience. He took it serious. And he was obedient to the letter. Man, the truth is, is this is what God requires of us. Meticulous obedience. The truth is, we really don't get to choose the things we want to obey in and the things we don't want to obey. We don't get to look at God's promises and say, well, I'm going to ignore that one. That one seems hard. Chapter 11 stands for us as a, as a reminder that Joshua was obedient in all that God had commanded him. And then in chapter 12, we're given a long list of victories that the nation experienced under Joshua's leadership. Victory after victory after victory. And just, you know, by, by way of homework... I'd encourage you, as you look back on this past year, come a piece of paper, write out the victories that God has given you this year. Chapter 12 is a list of victories that God gave the nation of Israel because of Joshua's obedience, because of his good leadership. What are the victories that he's given you this year? Can you list them out? Who were the two spies? Joshua and Caleb. Chapter 14, Caleb's like, as they're, as they're getting ready to distribute, right, the 12 tribes and they get, they get their, uh, their, their portions as an inheritance. And it comes to Caleb and like, Caleb, what do you want? Caleb, at 85 years old, mind you, right? Caleb was a soldier when they spied out the land 40 years ago. 
He's 85 years old. Caleb, what do you want? He's like, I want the hills of Hebron. Can anyone tell me who were in the hills of Hebron? The giants. Caleb's like, I still want those giants. I could take them then. I can take them now. Why? Because he knows the Lord goes before him. He knew the Lord would go before him before. He knows the Lord will still go before him. Give me those giants. What are the giants in your life? What are those hills of Hebron that God has given you? And we, like Caleb, can charge in and say, you know what? God's on my side. If God can be for me, who can be against me? And then in 15 through 21, the, the remaining chapters are... are of Israel receiving their inheritance and what tribe received what area and, and, uh, and that, that reminder that the enemy was still persisting, right? They'd taken out some of the strongholds, but then each tribe received their own allotment of land and they as a tribe were to go in and subdue the rest of that land to make it their inheritance, that there was still an enemy present and persisting that they had to resist. And the reminder for us especially as we charge into a new year, is that there is still an enemy that is persisting, that we need to resist. The enemy will always persist. And we must be careful to resist. And so with a brief history lesson of the, the nation that, 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 that they are reminded of all the ways in which God has gone before them and God has led them to this very point, Joshua says, today, now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and truth, put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river, and in Egypt, serve the Lord, he says, serve the Lord. Joshua here is making a declaration. Joshua is declaring, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's not an option, right? It's not like he's saying, well, I, I think if things go the way I hope, we'll serve the Lord. Maybe, possibly. Let's take a family vote and see how this next year goes. No, Joshua's like, no. As for me and my house, I'm gonna declare it today. We will serve the Lord. May I encourage you this morning as we bring this year to a close, regardless of how this past year went, you might be thinking, you know what, my whole world is crumbling. Today, today, make that declaration, we will serve the Lord. Not maybe, not I hope so, not I think so, not if things go well, today. Again, Joshua didn't always have this level of confidence, right? He started off in chapter one needing that encouragement. Be strong and of good courage, Joshua. Be strong. And perhaps we need some encouragement. We need to be told, be strong and of good courage. Amen. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This means that 
that there should be some things in our lives that are simply not negotiable. There are some things that we will not compromise on. We will serve the Lord, which means we will not serve the world, right? We are not gonna fall victim to the traps that this world lays before us, the enemy that continues to persist. So not only does Joshua make this declaration, but he also sets it up as an expectation. Joshua sets the expectation. Not only does he declare it, but he says we will serve the Lord. We will. It's an expectation. And may I encourage you again this morning as we, as we enter into a new year, set the expectation. The previous generation Aside from Joshua and Caleb, the previous generation missed out on the promises of God because of their lack of faith, their failure to take God at his word and to trust him because the expectation wasn't set in their own lives because they hasn't presented themselves before a living in a holy God. Do not miss out on what the Lord has for you because you failed to set the expectation. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will complete it. Hebrews 11.6, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Man, let's seek him. And so real quick, not only does he declare it, not only does he expect it, but it's a realization in Joshua's life. This was realized in his own life. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me, it had to be real in his own life. If he was going to set the expectation for his family, if he was going to set the expectation for the nation of Israel, it had to be real in his own life. And so as you go forward into the next year, it has to be real in your life. You have to realize it. Joshua makes it personal. Me and my house. It starts here. It starts with us in our own hearts. Remember, the enemy will always tell you to put it off until tomorrow. And then tomorrow turns into next week. Next week becomes next month. And before you know it, you're wandering the wilderness, missing out on the promises of God. While a generation moves on. We need to be like Joshua and like Caleb. It needs to be realized in our lives on who God is and what he's capable of. Listen, don't, don't wait for someone else. Don't wait for, well, I'll do it when they do it. I'll follow them. We, don't, we follow the Lord. And if he's calling, if he's moving, and if he's directing, we follow him. You choose today whom you will serve. Let it be realized in your life. You can set the tone. You can be the example. And your obedience, your response to today, 
could be the spark in someone else's life that they needed. Listen, you know what the difference is between a thermometer and a thermostat? Right? All a thermometer does is tell you the temperature in a room. A thermostat sets the temperature. A thermostat decides what temperature this room is going to be in. We need to be like thermostats. We need to set the tone, set the temperature. We need to decide today how it's going to be. That's good. <laughs> Do you ever wonder why you might be going through something? Why it feels like the whole world is coming at you? Why it just feels like, like a grind? Why the Lord maybe has given you this particular challenge to walk through this particular trial, this particular struggle? Do you realize that it could be for no other reason than for someone else who might be looking in and watching? Seeing how you respond to that situation, to that struggle? Let it be realized in your life today. As for me and for my house, it's going to start with me. Because the Lord sees, right? Matthew 6, he says, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Your charitable deed be done in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. The Lord knows. No one else might see it, but the Lord knows. Or maybe they do see it. Maybe they're watching on, like, man, I don't know how they're getting on with all that they're going through. But they see your faith. They see your obedience. They see your meticulous obedience as Joshua did. This declaration, this expectation, it needs to be realized in our lives. I'm going to lead the way. I'm going to be the example. I am going to be strong and courageous even if I'm the only one. Even if it's just me. And then lastly, real quick, it's also a celebration. This is to be celebrated. When it's realized in our lives, this service to the Lord, it's celebratory. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're not, we're not serving earthly masters. It's not like we're going to work and working for the man or whatever. We're serving the Lord. A holy and living God, we're serving him. And that's to be celebrated. It should be exciting, right? Listen, it's not a, I have to go do this. It's a, I get to go do this. It's an honor. It's a privilege to serve a living God. And not only that, but, you know, here, Joshua, Joshua's a picture of our Joshua. You see, we call him Jesus. But Jesus is the Greek translation. His name was Yeshua. Joshua. Joshua. Jesus faithfully served his Father in heaven. He is our example. In fact, in Hebrews uh, 12, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by such a, a, uh, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run the race with endurance that is set before us. What? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Listen, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus celebrated the fact that he got to go to the cross for us. And why can't we celebrate the fact that we get to, right, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, that we get to present ourselves to him. And it's a joyous thing. It's something to be celebrated. Listen, this morning, do not waver any longer between two opinions. We need to stop. And we need to make a decision today. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter six, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You can't serve two masters. You will be faithful to one and not the other. No more wavering between two opinions. So the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, what masters our life? What is our master passion? What is it that guides us more than anything else? What is it, the, what's the one thing that's driving us? And if it's not the Lord, we need to take inventory this morning. We need to choose today. Listen, we were created for worship. We are creatures that worship. God has created us that way. It's in our very nature. It's in the fibers of our being. He's created us to worship. The simple question is, what are we worshiping? Who are we worshiping? We are. We are worshiping someone. We are worshiping something. And if Jesus is your master, and if he's not, if Jesus is not display in your, on display in your life, if you have not presented yourself to him, if it's not evident who you're serving, that he is what is driving you. I mean, let's, be, let's face it, that is the technical definition of blasphemy. To say one thing and to be doing another. If we say he's our, see, it's so easy to say, Jesus, you're my savior. It's a completely other thing to say, Lord, you are my Lord. You are my master. I am your slave. I belong to you. It's real easy to call him our savior, but he also needs to be our Lord. He's our Lord and our savior. So as we ring in this new year, let's take inventory, myself included. I think we need to take a hard look at our lives and say, what is next year going to be? How am I going to set the tone? Where am I going to set that thermostat at as we move forward into a new year? Last year's over. That's fine. Whatever happened, good, bad, or indifferent, right? It's in the past. We can choose today who we are going to serve. So let's present ourselves before a living and a holy God. Let's choose today that we are going to serve him. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise you for this morning, Lord. And, Lord, what a wonderful reminder, Lord. Lord, I'll confess for myself, Lord, that I needed this. Lord, I need this reminder, Lord, that regardless of how last year may have gone, Lord, I want to choose today to serve you. I want to choose today 
Lord, that as for me and my house, we're going to serve you. We're going to see you high and lifted up in our lives. Lord, we are going to come and we're going to present ourselves before you. A holy and a living God. God, we need you. Would you meet with us, Lord? Would you guide us into the new year? Lord, let us show us, Lord, how we can better serve you and proclaim your goodness to those around us. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to sing a song. You know, <laughs> just real quick, Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to, he's given us everything we need. So as we enter into the new year, let's enter in knowing that he's giving us what we need to follow him, to serve him, and to be obedient to him. Amen?